0: was the day the u.s supreme court ruled in the case of roe versus wade essentially giving a woman the right to choose to have an abortion and then in january of 84 ronald reagan designated january 22nd which is this coming week of each year as the national sanctity of human life day and his goal his goal in doing that i've read on just some of the stuff around when he made this day or designated this day. And his goal was just to bring awareness to the millions of abortions that take place every year. And, that, you know, abortion is something that gets a lot of people fired up, kind of on both sides of the fence. You probably haven't been watching the news if you don't, don't know that, but it just gets people very passionate. And here's the thing, as believers, as the church, as children of God, we know that human life has value. Um, human life is something that should be near and dear to our hearts and here 's the thing when the when the God of the universe creates life and gives life I think it 's extremely prideful for us to think that we have the right to take it and my My hope and my prayer that we as a church family would get involved in the in the the fight for human life and to be honest there 's a lot of I think there's a lot of different areas that that encompasses. You know, it could be the orphan to the sojourner, to the genocides that are happening all over the world, to even the refugees who are fleeing their own countries. There's a there's a lot of things I think that fall under the fight for life. And you know, all of these struggles are important to the Lord, but specifically as it relates to the sanctity of human life. With that in mind, January twenty second, I would I would encourage everybody in here to pray about how you can get involved. For some of you, that might mean volunteering at a pregnancy care center. I was talking to a lady on Tuesday, and she said she wasn't going to be here today because she had to share with a church, another church in town. Uh, because she works for a pregnancy care center, and they wanted her to come and speak, and we have quite a few of those. So that we have we have a lot of connections with pregnancy care centers in town. So maybe that's your way of getting involved. And for others, it might mean being a foster parent, right? For those those moms who go through with it and maybe have struggles in the home, maybe you're a foster parent. Maybe you uh, maybe adoption is one of your ways that you can get involved in the fight for human life. And you know, maybe there are others of you who your way of getting involved is just sharing your own story. You know, it's so, we don't know this, we don't think about this, but it hits so many people. I read something on Focus on the Family last week and it said that 40% of the people who have abortions are actually involved in church. So what that means is there's a lot of you here who have walked down that path and maybe it was a long time ago, but maybe your story can help shape someone else. Maybe it can have an impact on someone else, and God can use, we see this in all other areas of life, but in this one particular area, I think we get real weird about it, but God can use your pain of your past, and maybe some of the choices you made in your past to reach other people. He does it all the time, and I I think, you know, it's, I don't ever want you to come into here and think that, oh, you know, I, I had an abortion, you know, God doesn't love me, He doesn't care about me, I can't go to this church anymore. We've all got sin. We've all got stuff that we deal with in our past before we were walking with the Lord. And I just, I want you to be encouraged to know that this is a, a safe place, a place where you can, you can minister to others using the sins of your past and the choices of your past. So, you know, maybe you can encourage someone not to make the same choice you did. And maybe your story will help shape the heart of a woman, young woman just like you. And so I, I hope that this Tuesday and leading up to Tuesday, you're praying for that cause, you're praying for maybe the opportunity of how you can get involved. And for Courtney and I, you know, as we have, as I mentioned last week, if you weren't here, I mentioned this last week, but as we have walked through infertility in our marriage, you know, the whole sanctity of life thing has kind of taken on a meaning of its own. You know, it gets real, I don't want to say personal, but it's just it's a whole new meaning. I mean, we, we live in a culture, I think, where there's a large number of pregnancies every year that are unwanted, and if you look at Hannah, who we're going to study today in First Samuel, that wasn't the case so many years ago. Like, that that really wasn't the case. They were desperate for children. And, you know, it's tough for, I know it's tough for Courtney and I kind of to be on the other end of the spectrum and want something so badly and pray for it year after year after year. And then, you know, others are kind of complaining about the same thing that we've always Wanted, But here, here's, I think, what I've learned, and then we'll move on to First Samuel. Here's what I have learned and what God has, I think, taught me through this is everybody's different. And God, God ministers and your life is going to, your relationship with God is going to be different. And everybody in here has a story. And God is working uniquely in everybody's lives. The person next to you, God is working very differently in your life, even if you're married. He's working very differently in each of your lives. And he's, you know, there's things that are happening to you that maybe aren't happening to the person next to you. But they're all uniquely crafted for his glory. His purposes. His goals. And, while, and here's the thing I've known. While your prayers may not be answered the way that you want them to be, because Courtney and I have had a lot of prayers over the last few years, and they may not be answered the way that you want them answered, the way that you had hoped, but it doesn't mean that God's not at work. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You've got a plan for your life just like he has a plan for my life. All right, last week we, we got into a little bit of this in, in the book of 1 Samuel. And we were introduced to a man named Elkanah. Remember Elkanah? Elkanah and his wife Hannah. And Hannah was barren. And Hannah knows all too well the struggle to conceive. In addition to Hannah, there was, we were also introduced to Elkanah's other wife which is a different sermon for a different day. We don't have time to get into that. but and to his other wife, Peninnah. And she has many kids. Her name means fruitful. Hannah's name means favored. Peninnah's name means fruitful. And she has many kids. And, and you'll see in the story, she gets, I think, a little arrogant about her ability to pop out kids. And you'll, you'll see that in the story. But she gets a little, you know, maybe a little prideful about her ability to pop out kids. And she says, and she's continually provoking Hannah about her bareness, and we see it in 1 Samuel 1, 6. We covered this last week, but just as a, a refresher. And her rival, talking about Hannah's rival, Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Excuse me, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. So Hannah has this feeling, we learned last week, she's feeling hopeless, she's feeling chastised. She cries out to God, and here's what she does. She makes a vow to the Lord, and she says, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you. That's what she says. If you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And that's where we pick it up today in verse 19. They arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, or Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I love how the Bible is so matter of fact about the fact that Elkanah knew Hannah, and she conceived, and she bore a son. It's just kind of matter of fact. Here's a woman who's been barren for years and years and years and years, and she's been praying for years and years and years, and all of a sudden, God remembers her, it says. She has a son, and the Bible just kind of makes it matter of fact. She names him Samuel because she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. But I don't know if you you caught this. Last week in verse 11, there's very similar language in verse 11. So one eleven says, and she vowed a vow. This is back when she's in the temple before she has Samuel and she makes this vow to the Lord. And here's what she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. We didn't talk about the razor last week. It seems a little weird if you're just kind of, what does that mean? It's just, here's the deal. Samson was probably called a Nazarite didn't cut his hair. There were these certain things that Nazarites couldn't do. They couldn't be around dead bodies. They didn't drink alcohol. And they were set apart for a special service. So if you think through scripture, okay, who wouldn't have, who would have been a Nazarite? Samson was one. John the Baptist was probably another one. And so she is making, Hannah is making this proclamation and saying, no razor shall touch his head. He's going to be set aside for a very unique purpose. But at the beginning of that, don't miss at the beginning, we said the word, remember me. O oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and then where we picked up in verse 19 today and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and what and the Lord remembered her now for an Israel- Israelite when you would hear the Lord remembering someone and you hear that phrase the Lord remembered it would immediately brought brought back all of these thoughts from the past Because you can read through scripture, read through the Old Testament. In Genesis, I think it's Genesis 8, Noah's in the ark and he puts all these animals into the ark. And then it says, he was floating around in the ark and then it says, and the Lord remembered Noah. And as you read through these different stories of women being barren, I know with Jacob and his wife Rachel, she was barren. And it says, and the Lord remembered Rachel. And you see it over and over and over. My favorite is in Exodus To go to Exodus, when the people of Israel were taken captive as slaves, Exodus 2.23, it says, during those days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue came from slavery up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Then, chapter 3 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Listen to that. I have seen the affliction of my people, I have heard their cry and I know their sufferings. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true in your life? Do you believe that God sees your affliction? That he knows your pain? That he knows your suffering? For so many of you, at different points in your life, for all of us, at different points in our life, the pain in your heart is so real like it feels like a weight on top of you. You know, it's so overpowering. You feel like you can't get out of bed. You feel like you can't move. You feel like you can't do anything. Be encouraged that the God who created you and formed you in your mother's womb knows your sufferings, knows your pain, hears your cry, and he remembers you. And look what the people do. I love what the people do when they realize God is listening and sees their affliction. Exodus 4 says, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. They hadn't even been delivered. If you're reading back through the story in Exodus, in Exodus 4 they hadn't even been delivered. But they're bowing their heads and worshiped because they just they were overwhelmed by the fact that God was listening, that God knew them, that God understood them, that God remembered them. That was overwhelming enough. They were still in slavery. But it says they bowed their heads and worshipped. Do you think God sees your affliction? That he knows the deepest desires of your heart. The deepest desires of your heart, whatever those are. You may not tell anybody what those are, but God knows them. And that's really important. Even when your prayers aren't actually answered, and they're not answered the way you hope they had been answered, he's still God. And he's still good. Um, many of you have asked kind of the story behind the adoption of our of our daughter, Audrey. So I'm going gr- to give you a quick rundown. Um, and Because I, th- I think it's very important to to this particular story. But Thursday, this was Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving's on a Thursday. The week before that, the Thursday of, um, before Thanksgiving, I was in Virginia for work. And Courtney sends me a text. And I was going to include the text, but, you know, it's... It's, it's irrelevant, but um, and she sent me this text, and I'm going to give you the sum of it. Just basically, it said, "I, you know, I've been praying about this for a while, and I'd really like to pursue the foster care process. Like, I feel like foster care. This is what she's, says are her words. I feel like foster care is really important. It's something that, you know, that God has given us the capacity to do, and I just think we should be involved in foster care. So I'd really like us to pray about being involved." In the process, and she'd been praying about. It. She said for eight months, she just wanted us to be on the same page. She wanted me to know what she was thinking, so that I, you know, maybe could get brought up to speed. Um, and so, uh, you know, it takes me maybe a little longer to get up to speed on some of these things. So I did what any good husband would do, and when you get a text like that, and I sent her the iMessage thumbs up, you know, when you can like thumb up a message, um, which apparently is not a good thing to do when the, when the conversation is very serious. Um, so, gentlemen, no thumbs up on important topics. All right. At least send an emoji or something more than just the iMessage thumbs up. Um, so anyway, you know, I said, okay, let's, let's start, you know, we'll pray about it, think about it, and I did what most men do, and I took it, and I put it back in that little compartment back here that's reserved for things that I can pull out during prayer, and, you know, then I won't think about it again. And so the next day, I'm still in Virginia, and Courtney calls me, this is Friday, and she says, so the craziest thing, the craziest thing just happened. I just got a call from an adoption agency wanting to know if we were interested in adopting. Okay, so this is Friday of the same week. And apparently the woman who owns the agency was creating a plan. That's what you call it when a woman decides to give her child for adoption. It's because she just kind of puts together a plan. Um, So she was putting together a plan for a birth mom and was about to show her a whole bunch of profiles. That's the way U.S. adoptions work. Birth moms look at profiles and they're the ones who decide who is going to raise their child. So she was going through and the, the agency, the lady who owns the agency, always, she said, I always pray about all the profiles because I never want to hand a birth mom just a huge, a bunch of profiles that I've never prayed over because I believe the Lord is sovereign and the Lord's going to know exactly which profile she needs to look at. And she said when she was looking through these profiles and praying through these profiles, our names kept coming to her mind. And which was weird because we weren't in the adoption process. We had started the adoption process two years ago and we had some behavioral issues with Isabella. And so we'd kind of put it on hold. So for two years, we were, you know, just kind of sitting on hold. Um, and, you know, Courtney's telling me this, and I'm standing at a, an airline counter in Virginia, a Delta check-in counter, trying to get my bags in. And she's explaining all this to me. And it's probably good I was there because I didn't have any time to think. And I was just like, um, you know, I'm, I'm just doing the math. You know, I'm like, are you sure? we were the ones that kept coming to her mind. Like, are you, I'm I'm walking through this with Courtney. Are you sure that, you know, she was thinking of us and not somebody else? And, you know, Courtney's giving her a hard time, but she, you know, we get to the point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the math. There's 20 profiles this birth mom gets. If she happens to select ours and we get to what's called, you know, kind of the next step of meeting the birth mom, Obviously, God is doing something. As if he already wasn't. You know, she tells me she's praying on Thursday. We get a call on Friday. And, you know, I mean, I'm a little slow. I've said that before. So we give the agency the green light. Okay, go ahead and include our profile. I'm going to give these to the birth mom. And so Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, the same Sunday when we were dedicating Isabella up here. And oddly, the same Sunday five years ago when our son Jaden's adoption was finalized in the courts. Um, or the same date, which is, I guess it's not odd. God's in control. Um, We get this call um, from the agency that the birth mom looked through all the profiles and she wants to meet us. So Tuesday, we went and met with this sweet lady who just said, this is what she said. She said, I'm going through some life changes and I'm just not sure I can give this baby the life that I want this baby to have. And she said, all I want to know from you guys is if you will promise to love her for the rest of your lives. And of course, who can say no to that? Um, so she, she was kind of explaining to us how it went down. And she said she went through all these profiles. And she was like, you know, looking through them and rereading them and reading them and rereading them. And she finally came to kind of put the top two or three that she thought would be maybe the right profiles. Like, and was, I mean, I can't even fathom that that. Process like what's going through her mind, but she said I put them kind of in order of one, two, three. This is who I would like to raise my child. This is who I'd like. to get Home because she lives with her mom. She said her mom got home from work and she gave all the profiles to her mom, and she said, "All right, mom, I want you to go through them and I want you to put them in order of who you think you know we should go with." And of course, as the Lord would have it, her mom put them in the exact same order as she did. Um, and it's you know it's here's here's the thing I've come to realize. There's so many more crazy parts to that story, and I'm gonna just going to stop there for the sake of time. Um, Courtney, maybe she'll write a blog or a story one time, but there's, like it's 10 times crazier than the little bit I just told you, and it's very clear to see how God was at work, and God is moving things, and God is orchestrating things. And you know, as Courtney and I, over the years of marriage, have walked through infertility, here's what I've come to realize. My prayers weren't always answered the way I hoped they would be. Or the way I thought they should be. But they were answered in the way God wanted them to be. And that's very important for your lives, for my life, is for us to understand that. And time and time again, I have seen his power and his hand and his might. And I know that he remembers me. And he cares about me. And he loves me. And in those situations, even if it's not a direct answer to your prayer, the prayer you were praying, it's an answer to prayer, but a pr- the specific prayer you were praying, the only thing you can do is bow your head and worship like the Israelites did. Because you know the shadow of a doubt that God is with you. And after year, after year, after year, put yourself in hand issues. Year, after year, after year, after year, you feel like God's not there. Where are you, God? I've been praying about this for a long time. And if, sometimes if you just open your eyes and look around, you see all the other ways where he's answering your prayers and you might not even realize it, but he's answering them in his way in the way that he deems is best for your life. The way that will bring the most glory to him. Because the fact of the matter is if we had three biological kids, I wouldn't be up here telling this story. I wouldn't be up here telling you about how, I would hope I would be up here telling you about how good God is and how he worked in our lives and how we had but God knows what's going to bring him the most glory. So it says, The Lord remembered Hannah and she had a son. Verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until until she weaned him. So Samuel's born. Hannah wants to wait until he's weaned, which just means till he stops nursing. So in those days, that was probably around three years. I know that probably seems a little long in this American culture, but their, their, their food was kind of sketchy at times. Their water sources weren't real good. So they would nurse a child as long as they could just to make sure, kind of ensure the health of the child. So for most Jewish cultures, that weaning would be at three years. So most scholars think Three years is when, when that took place. In um, verse 24, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, um, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. So after a few years, Hannah gets Samuel, takes him up to the temple. And I love the last part of verse, of verse 24. Nothing in scripture is there by accident. Right, read that last phrase. And the child was young. The author wants you to feel the weight of the statement. You can easily just move right over it and move to the next section if you're just trying to to breeze through scripture. But it says the child was young. And we read it just like, the child was young. But this is when she, she made her vow. The author wants you to feel the weight of the vow, the weight of the sacrifice. He's a little child. And she's not taking him to some convent or some monastery. She's taking him to the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is a mess. The priests, they're a mess. Remember when she was praying that she would have Samuel? And the priest assumes she's drunk? Says, why are you drunk? Get, get yourself together. All right, this is the kind of environment she's bringing young Samuel to. And you have, you know, next week we're going to read chapter, the end of chapter two, Eli's sons actually sleep with the women who come to the door of the tabernacle. She knows all this. This is the environment she's bringing this child to. I'm going to ask my little Isabella to come up here. She usually doesn't agree because she gets really scared, but we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) Come here, babe. (laughs) Come here. Your brother would love this. So this is Isabella. Are you scared? (laughs) All right, you can go. So but seriously, watch her run. Watch her walk away. That's how old Samuel would have been. Can you imagine a woman bringing her child to the temple? Can you imagine her walking away from the temple? Probably getting the same reaction that we just saw. Why are you leaving? Why are you leaving me here? Where are you going? What is happening I don't understand this. Three years into loving a small child. But here's the deal. She trusts the goodness of God and she knows no matter what happens, he is in control. Doesn't matter what environment he's going to. Doesn't matter what happens. She knows that she has made a promise to the Lord and he is in control. And that's, man, it's tough. I was holding Isabel at home and she didn't act like that. But I was holding her at home and just trying to understand the weight of, The sacrifice. Try to understand the weight of bringing your child and leaving your child at the temple after so many years of caring for that young child. And it's just, it's it's hard to fathom. You can only do it if you trust the Lord and you know He's in control. That's the only way that that makes sense. Verse 25 Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So they sacrifice a bull, which would have been a pretty large sacrifice for a family back then. But it was just to show the gratitude, to show how thankful she was for this child. And she continues her sacrifice. I love that it says and they were and he worshiped the Lord there like there's there's a spirit of worship going on both in Hannah most scholars think Eli is the one they're referring to but there's a spirit of worship that's happening and we're going to see that in the next chapter chapter 2 the first 10 verses and here's what I love she sings a song to the Lord a song of prayer whatever you want to however you want to call that and we're going to read through it continuously we're not going to stop and break it down but we're just going to read through it in one chunk but here's the weird thing about it when i read it it doesn't strike me as someone who's singing about the fact that they conceived a child and the Lord gave them a child. Like it's very, it seems very, I don't know, it just seems very different to me. There's phrases like the bows of the warriors are broken. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. And, you know, it's kind of hard, to I think, to wrap your mind around why it's written this way. But I think the important thing as we read through it to understand is Hannah knew God was at work in her life. She knew there was a bigger picture going on. It's like you, if you went to the mission field and you felt like God was calling you to the mission field and you were about to go, you, I don't, I don't think your prayers would be about your sacrifice, what you're doing, you know, the heartache you might endure. I think when you're heading to the mission field, it's a bigger picture. It's God, I know you're in control. This is your world. I'm small. I'm nothing. I'm trying to you know, play a part in your story. I'm trying to play a part in what you've done. And I, I get the sense that's what Hannah is doing. She's seeing the bigger picture. She knows her own pain. She grieves in the pain of giving her child to the temple, but she knows that God's going to use her son. And so she grieves her loss, but she worships. She, it's, a, it's a picture of a woman who's been transformed. If you read her prayer in chapter one, she's weeping. It says she wept bitterly. And if you read her prayer in chapter 2, it sounds like a totally different woman. Throughout this process of sacrifice, she has been transformed. And anytime you make sacrifice, anytime you sacrifice in areas of your life, and you're pursuing the Lord and you're sacrificing on His behalf, you will be changed. Your life will be different, you'll be transformed more into His likeness. That's, that's just the way it happens. All right, J.D. Greer says, As we worship God in times of trouble, we experience the radical transformation that only comes through communion with God. As we worship God in times of trouble, we experience the radical transformation that only comes through communion with God. All right, I'm gonna read through this prayer and then we're gonna talk a little bit about it and then we'll... We'll wrap up. So we must read the whole thing. Chapter two, verse one. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken but the feeble bind in strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them, he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That last, that last verse is, is very interesting to me because it says he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And it's interesting because Israel's never had a king. David probably hasn't even been born at this point. And so she's she's knowing, I think, what her son Samuel is going to do. He's gonna help usher in a new reign of a king. He's gonna usher in the monarchy that we're gonna see all throughout First Samuel. And she's praising the Lord for it. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed one. And obviously anointed one, she's also talking about the future Messiah. The future anointed one. So that's the story of Hannah. After this chapter, she gets one more blip on the radar at the end of chapter two. But after these two chapters, we don't hear from Hannah ever again. Like that, that, that is her story. And the crazy thing is, the impact of her story, I think, has gone on from generation to generation to generation. And you hear the story of Hannah told over and over again. Her faithfulness. To prayer, her faithfulness to the Lord, her willingness to follow through on her sacrifice. And one of the things I love, I think, about her story the most is her diligence in prayer set into motion all of these events. You know, her son Samuel would go on to help turn around the nation of Israel, he would anoint King Saul, he would anoint King David. And you read all the other things that Samuel did, what if she had never prayed? I'm not saying the Lord wouldn't have raised up somebody else, but what if Hannah had never prayed? What if she had, you ever think about that? What if she had never, what if the longings of her heart were just that? They never materialized into a crying out to the Lord. What if they just stayed right here? And I think so often we can get to the place in our lives, we're just not sure God can come through. I know I've been there, I'm talking to myself. Oh, God, that's just too big. There's no way you could answer that prayer. There's no way you could allow me to have a child. There's no way you could make an adoption happen in three weeks, two different times. Like there's this, this kind of, I just, I, 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 don't, I don't even know why I would give you these things. You know, are you holding on to something that you should be giving to the Lord? Deep, deep, deep down. Nobody even knows it's there except you and it's a desire that the Lord has placed in your heart and you just don't know if you want to pray about it. My, Let Hannah, let me say it this way, let Hannah be an example of what it looks like to beg God year after year after year to move on your behalf. Let the story of her prayer life, let the story of her seeking the Lord challenge you to pray. And I don't know if you've picked up on this, but as you read through scripture, there's quite a few women who are barren. Even the, you know, if you, I mean, we go all the way back to the patriarchs, Genesis 12. God comes to Abraham, says, Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. I think it's Genesis 15. He actually says that, but I'm gonna make you a great nation. Abraham doesn't have any kids. Abraham and Sarah are barren. And it would be a long time before they actually had a child. And they have a child named Isaac. And Isaac grows up and Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca. And they would be married for 20 years before they had a child. They were barren for 20 years. And finally they would have Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob grows up. Jacob marries Leah and then marries Rachel. And Rachel was barren for a very long time until she had Joseph. And if you you read through scripture and you read time after time after time, you see these women who are barren. And the one thing, the one character trait most of them have in common is humility. And that's, that's a character trait we should all have in common but it's an understanding that the only one who's capable of answering my prayer is the Lord. It's a complete trust and dependence on him. And if you fast forward to the New Testament to Luke 1, there's a woman named Elizabeth. I love the story of Elizabeth because she's also barren. Okay, and if you remember the story, her and Zachariah have been have, trying to have a child for many, many years. And it says they're advanced in years. All right, Zechariah's a priest. And one day he's going to the temple and they need to give the offering, the daily offering, and the the lot fell on him. And that's like a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So he gets all excited, Zechariah does, and he goes into the temple and he goes to offer, you know, the altar of incense. And it says an angel appears to him, Luke 1. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And he will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. If you keep going, verse 17, he says this child basically will be set apart. Most scholars think he'll be a Nazarite, just like Samuel. And he'll prepare the way for a king. Samuel prepared the way for King David. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist for King Jesus. So Elizabeth gets pregnant and about six months into her pregnancy, she gets a visit from another mother. Do you remember the story? She gets a visit from Mary. It says that she walks in, Mary walks in and the baby, John the Baptist, it says leapt inside her, leapt inside of her is the way way it's phrased. And I love the story of Elizabeth and I love the story of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, because Jesus isn't born to someone who's barren. He's born to a virgin. Like time and time and time again, God has used women who were barren, and then finally their prayers are answered, and you know, they have a son, and this son goes on to do this, or they have a daughter. And you see time and time and time again in scripture, and then we get to the New Testament, and instead of using somebody who's barren and giving her a child, God uses a virgin which should be mind-blowing, and he says, I want want you to understand that the only way my salvation is coming is through me. My power, my salvation comes through God and God alone. And just like Hannah, when you read the story of Mary and Elizabeth in Luke 1, I'd encourage you to go read it today, but Luke chapter 1, um, Mary sings a song, just like Hannah did if you didn't know any better, when you read through Mary's song, you would think she was copying Hannah because the the songs sound very, very similar. And I'm going to read through it real quick. Luke 1.46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's crazy to me to think that this same Mary who's in this moment with Elizabeth and they're together and they're celebrating and she sings a song of happiness that 33 years later she'll be standing at the foot of a cross and she'll watch this same son die. And Elizabeth in a very similar matter will know that her son, assuming she was alive, was beheaded. And these moments of joy, these moments, I mean, it's just crazy to think that Mary is standing at the foot of the cross and she's watching him die. Watching Jesus die for the sins of the world. Paul describes it to the church at Philippi like this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I'm pretty sure Mary never imagined in a million years that God's plan for redeeming the world would come through the death of her son. I I don't know that she ever thought of that. I don't know that we know if she ever thought of that. But I, I just can't imagine she would have ever thought at the moment she's singing that song of praise that that would have happened. But God's plan to bring the world into a relationship with him rarely happens the way we think it should. It involves barren women, involves fruitful women, involves rich people, involves poor people, single people, married people, people with kids, kids without kids, involves families who have a ton of kids and families who have lost kids and understand the pain of losing a child. It involves you, and it involves me. And everybody has a story. And I can show you the pain of your story, the, the suffering of your past. You know, at some point in your life, there will be pain, there will be suffering. But here's what I want you to remember as we close. God loves you, and he remembers you. Just like he remembered the Israelites. Just like he remembered all those barren women. Just like he remembered... Noah, when he was in the ark, he knows your affliction. He knows your heartaches. He knows the deepest desires of your heart. And just like Hannah, he hears your prayers. That's who he is. He's a good God. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. The guys are going to pass it out.